Hello, and welcome to Courage to Be, a podcast on becoming. This is episode number 21, I believe it is. It's been a bit. Um, I think the last time we recorded was in March. It, it seems to be. Yeah. <laughs> if we're uh, measuring in time. <laughs> if we're measuring in time, yes. Well, um, so I, we haven't really spoken very much over the last few months either. Life has gotten very busy. Mm-hmm. So I thought it'd be good to start off with just kind of catching up briefly about what's been going on. And then I, I think today's episode, we're going to spend some time kind of exploring the concept of Buddha nature versus original sin in a very kind of brief way mm-hmm. as it ties into some things that have um, occurred in my life over the last few months. And then I believe parallel some things Steve has had happening as well. So um, without further ado, let's dive right in. Steve, what's been going on with you? Well, I taught summer classes and... Uh took a turn in my uh, Buddha lessons. I am a deep Joseph Goldstein fan now. I took a uh, took an Amazon Audible text and turned it into a set of lessons and bought a couple of mindfulness books by uh, Goldstein and just have really enjoyed some immersion time in meditation. And uh, I do prefer Goldstein to Goldstein. Goldstein to Goldstein. Sorry, that's a young Frankenstein. Uh, yeah, well, I, it's Franken, it's, that's Frankenstein. So, that is so weird. I paused <laughs> and I thought I just watched that about three weeks ago. <laughs> but yeah, just a uh, uh, lot of stuff going on at Temple, mm-hmm. and uh, we've got a garage sale coming up, so we've been caught up in that. But uh, yeah, summer teaching and enjoying you know relationships and connections with people and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Took a couple of trips here and there, and uh, sounds like you've been keeping very busy. Yeah, I have. How about you? Uh, yeah, I've been also keeping quite busy. Uh, probably a bit too busy. Um, some of the I've joined yet another band. <laughs> <laughs> How many does that make for you? Uh, a dozen? <laughs> Not quite. Um, a quarter of that. I, I think I'm technically in three right now. Wow. Um, yeah. So just why not? All right. Yeah. Um, and. You know, also keeping busy with some personal things. I'm trying to remember if I had already gone to California again for the second in the shamanic training the last time we recorded, because it was around that time that I went out. Um, but those things always do kind of kick off quite a bit of internal work, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh, um, yeah. So I've been dealing with the repercussions of that. And then also I've been helping, um, you know, doing a Mesa series here in Springfield with, um, with Karen. And I've been helping her with that. And so that's been engaging. Also had a death in the family. My grandfather passed um, mm. a few months back. And so dealing with that as well, mm. um, which is going to be what we talk about a bit here um, yeah. is some of the thoughts I've had after that. So yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. 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 Well, you've, you've been seemingly busier than I, but I think with, uh, you know, trips back to my home groups in Vianne and uh, Tahlequah, mm-hmm. I've stayed equally as busy, and I've, I've rekindled with some elders, Native elders, mm-hmm. and uh, we want to talk about an experience I had, too, uh, around yeah. uh, around and about a funeral. So so I guess we will be talking about death today. Yeah, death, yeah. sin, Buddha nature. Yeah, so let's go ahead and, and, and get started here. Um, there are a few things that happened for me in, in parallel that that prompted me to call up to you and like, okay, I think we need to get started on the podcast again, and I've got some things I, I think I want to talk about. Um, one was the passing of my grandfather, um, someone who I was incredibly close with and uh, care very much for. Um, 
And going through the whole process of putting together that funeral, um, I was the person who ended up doing a fair amount of that work. Um, and so that's always an experience, right? And then dealing with, you know, what do you say at a funeral and what are the remarks going to be like? And so my grandfather was very, um, very Pentecostal. He was Assemblies of God, very religious. Um, and so the sermon needed to be kind of in that, you know, wheelhouse, so to say, um, the uh, the preacher was a friend of his, and so had an experience with that that I'll talk about. And then paralleling that with some readings that I was doing in Buddhism, um, and just some kind of just general reflections. So anyway, before I do that, any thoughts before I start off again? No, just that when you decided to uh, connect, I mean, we connect. We just haven't had this quality time to do a podcast. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, within I think a couple of weeks, I uh, had a couple of health scares in the elder community, uh, my family, and then uh, a death also, and found myself, you know, kind of adrift a bit about this whole thing of, um, you know, spiritual practices and how my Buddhism, I'll talk a little bit about this more in depth, about how my Buddhism as an indigenous person both co-mingled, but then can cause some... uh, I don't know, some displacement within. So, but that'll that'll become evident. And I think there is some synchronicity to what's going on with us. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I suspect you're right. So just diving in, um, with with my grandfather's passing, we we ended up doing a funeral as one does. Um, and as a part of that, uh I, I decided that I was going to to say some words. And it was a really important to me in doing so to speak from a place of where I currently am. I was raised Assembly of God. I was raised very religious, and I've kind of stepped away from the vast majority of that uh, for a period of time in a very kind of um, reactive way, and that's eased with time. I'm, I'm much less reactive when it comes to my faith practice from before in terms of Christianity and kind of the judgment that goes along with that. Um, but so I knew that there was going to be a, a, a sermon given there and I wanted to, to speak as well. And so, um, I kind of wrote a, 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 kind of a thing that I wanted to say, which was very built on passages from Khalil Gibran and, and passages from Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, like given the example of that, that, that Thich Nhat Hanh writes about, you know, talking about speaking to a leaf that's falling from the tree and that the leaf saying, don't grieve for me, I'm, you know, um, sustain the tree and now the trees the tree sustained me and now I'm going to sustain the tree and it's this beautiful interconnected piece and this idea of you know continuing on after death and being interconnected and and legacy and 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 kind of um we can learn from examples of the way that he lived that was kind of the sentiment that I was going for with the idea of being very uplifting and kind of bringing people together and we are we can understand suffering with we can understand pain without and and suffering and and we can experience pain without attaching to suffering kind of Mm -hmm. that idea right you know it is painful to lose someone but we don't have to suffer and we don't have to suffer because we understand that we still are nourished by his example and he still carries on in some capacity right so Mm -hmm. that was the general sentiment of what i was trying to say um and that was very contrasted with the um the sermon that was given which was a um from what I understand, it was requested to be, but it, but it turns out to be was a salvation message in a eulogy or in a in, a, in the sermon at the end mm-hmm. of a funeral. Um, and I guess it's not really a eulogy, but anyway. Um, so this was a very stereotypical kind of salvation message. You know, I think it was eight to ten points 
um, if I recall correctly, um, that all kind of basically circled around your sinners and um, flawed and going to hell and you need to repent now and comments make being stated about, um, you know, being apathetic or indifferent is a sin, um, turning away from God is a sin, um, looking to other things like external worldly religions is a sin, like everything, many, many things that are a mm. sin, which is, of course, right after I spoke about my grandfather passing <laughs> mm. and, and, and talked about Buddhist concepts. So apparently I was sinning there. Um, and, you know, but it was interesting because I found myself kind of going back to some old trauma responses and some mm-hmm. old kind of activation things. And then the, the, my, my experience of it shifted. Um, and, and I really kind of detached from it, um, not in a dissociated way, but in kind of a, I see what the purpose of this is kind of way. And now that I see it for what it is, it doesn't have the same effect on me, mm-hmm. um, which is really, I felt emotional manipulation, but um, I'm sure the, the person's intent was good. So I don't want to describe to that, but that's the way that it landed for me. Um, and that kind of that's the start of the crystallization of what I'm going to talk about more. But before I do, I want to kind of check in with you. See yeah, I see had, coming I up for had you. a couple of thoughts and then, and, and a question. So mm-hmm. just for clarification, you really came at the, the offering of words in my worldview at a, at a major transition His death. You came at it from a Buddhist perspective. I think so. But I yeah. mean, I really, what I, my, my idea was to try to, you know, basically saying I've done a lot of work over the last few years, you, yeah. know, over the, you know, he almost died 27 years ago. I've spent mm. 27 years trying to get ready for this. Oh, Here yeah. we are. Here's some things that I've learned that have helped me that may be helpful to you yeah. and kind of just, you know, it was two pages. It was not terribly long, but like really quick concepts. And I even tied it into some scripture. So I pulled from Christian traditions, Buddhist traditions, mm-hmm. Um, mysticism kind of traditions, like multiple places okay. to look for kind of universal truths about passing okay. and about taking yeah. comfort. Right. And the idea was I'm a therapist. I, I do counseling. You know, I, I teach. I, I try to engage in life in a meaningful way that, that works for me. Um, and what's helpful and, and what can I, how can I help other people? was kind of my goal with that. Did, did you feel like it landed like you wanted to? I mean, it seems really likely incongruent with the sin salvation message it it certainly was a juxtaposition okay it was it was a stark contrast because i said something and then he came up and said something too i think some people received it well i think some people didn't receive it as well you know you can only give it and hope that it is received um but frankly it's one of those things I, i i'm weird in that like if i do something that's consistent with my values and i've done it i can kind of leave it alone Right. Yeah. Like I, I really yeah. overthink things. I really worry about things until I figure out how I want to be. And then once I am the way that I want to be and I do an action <laughs> at that point, it's out of my control. It's yeah. out of my hands. Yeah. And so what was it was more important that I said what I wanted to say and, a, right. and the intent behind it um, than it was that that intent was understood. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. OK. OK. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Uh, but it was pretty remarkable. I mean, it, it was, to my mind, targeted um, like <laughs> You know, and I'm going to share this and I, hopefully the person never hears. And if he does, he can call me and we'll have a conversation. But like there was a, I was sitting in the front row and very close to my grandparents who have worried about my salvation for quite some time. And there was a point where the preacher's like leaning almost over me yelling, you know, come home, 
you need to come home. And it's mm. like, wow, could we be a bit more heavy handed here? Mm. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I don't want to assume that it's about me. Right. But um, I suspect that there was some of that in there. It felt a bit targeted. Um, but that is just life. Right. So um, I'm sure it was targeted at anybody who was not of that persuasion in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And so I around that same time, you know, I had that experience. Um, and I've also, you know, been thinking about kind of this, this, the concepts of Buddhism and shamanism and different things that I've been reading about and studying. Um, and I was reading through a book by Jack Kornfield, uh, where he talks about, um, a meeting with the Dalai Lama, where a bunch of Western teachers got together and were discussing some of the problems that their students were running into. And one of the things that, that they're running into is this, you know, wrestling with self-hatred. And this kind of shame that, that's so prevalent in our culture, and in our, you know, as we talk about doing clinical work, um, you know, as as we've talked about on the podcast before, trying to integrate these ideas, you know, those self-critical thoughts, those you know, shame-based thoughts, those the self-hatred piece is just so prevalent in in a lot of the things that clients come in with, and how you know it's a concept that was so foreign and so unfamiliar to the Dalai Lama that like. It, he spoke with his translator for like 10 minutes trying to understand the concept and then went around the room saying, was this, was this, is this true for you? Is this true for you to pretty much everybody there? And they're like, yes, this is very true. And it's like, you know, um, that doesn't make any sense. That can't be true. Um, but that's a mistake. Every being is precious is the quote that I, that I pulled from that, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that, and then, so there's that idea of like, you know, to the Dalai Lama, the idea of self-hatred is just so foreign that it, that it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking about a story I, I think I also heard from Cornfield um, about there was, a, I th- it might've been in Vietnam or Thailand, I can't remember where, um, but there was a temple that had this large Buddhist statue outside that was kind of mud and, and had been there for a very long time. And they maintained it, it was kind of ugly, um, but it was you know very important and very, very old and they maintained it. Um, and then at some point it started showing cracks and before they could get it repaired, the cracks large got enlarged to the point that they noticed that there was something kind of shiny inside the cracks. And so they kind of, it, it, they took it apart and, and found that in the inside, there was this beautiful golden statue of the Buddha, you know, that apparently maybe had been covered to protect it during a time of conflict or strife because it was a region that had a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had protected it forever. And um, for a very long time until it was ready to emerge. And that, that was given as an example of Buddha nature, of how sometimes we cover our Buddha nature to protect ourselves. But if we can allow the cracks to, to occur, we can kind of get to the core of ourselves and then we have this eternal goodness. Yeah. And that contrast of you are sinning, you need to repent or you're going to go to hell, contrasted with you have an eternal goodness and it is this Buddha nature and the implications of that were just kind of what sparked the idea of, I, I think we want to talk about this. Yeah. So, yeah. There's the setup 15 minutes in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's a big one. And, you know, as an indigenous person, um, it, it's a source of confusion. Well, it was um, for me for a long time because I had these parallel tracks running, um, you know, the more traditional indigenous viewpoint is kind of like Buddhism, that there's goodness in the human being and it's innate. And if, I mean, the Buddha nature's, you know, many different versions of it, primarily out of the Mahayana tradition and traditions and the the notion that 
the internal state of the human being is innately good, like your statue story glowing. And it's mm-hmm. a matter of our conditioning and our cultural, you know, how our culture inscribes on us what to think and believe and how to behave that that it gets covered over. And so I had the one, you know, sentiment that, you know, hey, we're innately good and, and life is to be lived and engaged. And then, for lack of a better term, due to missionary work, the the idea that sin was operative and that was the true nature of the human being, you know, flawed in need of what I've come to call now a deity assist to see things in a way, uh, in, in the right way, and the right way of seeing it was uh, this sinful kind of ugly, uh, what is it, what do they call it, inherent sin? So I've got those two, mm-hmm. you know, threads in my life, and through my own spiritual work, um, I've embraced Buddhism. I call myself an indigenous Buddhist often because it makes little sense to me and i think it makes a lot of uh for a lot of mental health struggle to view the human being as innately flawed and innately sinful so mm-hmm. but that, that that's a that's a that's been a big struggle and uh thankfully some resolution in the past 10 years or so uh through buddhist practice that dovetail more with the view indigenous view that human beings are innately good yeah, it's it's a powerful idea to to think about. Um, and in the next extension that that I that I written down in a note a month ago when we first started talking about doing this, mm-hmm. and I forgot about until now, um, was you know not only is there that are you fundamentally flawed or fundamentally good piece there, but there's also the the idea in a lot of Christian traditions of you know there is one way to God, right, right. Uh, versus in in a lot of the Buddhist traditions of don't mistake the teachings right. or the you know um, and so you kind of whatever bears fruit um, right. in the well, Buddhist tradition of like don't mistake your finger for the moon That's yeah exactly I was going to say that you know the Buddha yeah. said this is the way to the moon don't don't mistake the way for the you know uh, find your good find your good nature versus uh, getting caught up in any kind of teaching that any attachment to that or attachment to a figure. And I mm-hmm. would assume that, and the Buddha was clear. It was a book I read in college. If you see Buddha on the road, kill him. Oh, if you him. meet the Buddha on the road, kill him by Sheldon yeah. Cobb. Yeah. Yes. I've you, read that multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> and this idea that if you yeah. have a fixed idea of anything, you should deconstruct it. So I think the idea that we are sinful is is laden with that that kind of, you know, projection, attachment, and and bias. Well, yeah, and if you think about it, if the fundamental kind of cultural discourse is like the the the, the majority of the population buys into the idea that mm-hmm. uh, you're fundamentally flawed, there's something wrong with you, um, you're not good enough to fix it, you have to rely on something external, and the only way to do that is in this one particular way. What does that breed? That breeds self contempt and rigidity, mm-hmm. right? Uh, versus an approach of you have an eternal goodness that some things may get in the way, but those are designed to protect you. And if you can sit with it, you can find your true nature, uh, which is goodness. Mm-hmm. And that there are a lot of ways to get there, and there's not one that's better than the other. What, it, what matters is the fruits, like what's coming from it. Are you right. de- are you decreasing suffering? Are you creating yeah. more suffering, right? Yeah. And if you're not hurting people, if you're living you know, in right relationship, um, to draw from other traditions, um, then whether that's 
Buddhist or Christian or shamanic or Hinduism, you know, whatever path you take, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if it gets you to the right place, then it gets you to the right place versus this rigidity. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Well, I, I'm uh, working through a book, uh, How to Be an Adult in Love, Letting Love in Safely and Showing it Recklessly by David Rico. And his, his, one of his premises is that we are, it's our birthright to love self, to, to live in love. And there's a almost encrusting <laughs> as we are reared and as we grow our personalities and our sense of self uh, in this culture, we get a very different message that we uh, wind up loathing the self. And I won't attribute that to him, but there is this idea that uh, you have to love the self to be any good and, and that the Buddhist teachings on love is about self and other, because when you think about it, you're like those other selves out there, so you should love you as much. And I think that I've just seen a lot of suffering around that idea that we're innately bad. I'll go mm-hmm. on record in this podcast and say uh, it's it's uh, it's not good. And I want to add, you know, I have a student who is um, a minister of a church, I'll leave a named, and he always points out to me when we had these kind of conversations, well, that's a historical trend, this idea that, or a historical occurrence that we're innately sinful in 500 maybe 450 years ago, you wouldn't see that stamp and that emphasis in Christianity. And so he mm-hmm. points out that historically, that's that's a kind of a recent notion that there's only one way to healing, there's only one way to God. And I should, I'm feeling self-conscious here. So, <laughs> but it, and, well, and I, it yeah. is, I mean, it is a historical occurrence. Yeah. And I, and I do want to say that that I'm speaking of Christianity as I've experienced it and as Me people too. that I've worked with have experienced it. And it is a moment in time, right? Um, I think that there are a lot of wonderful things that can come from that tradition. Oh, um, sure. And I sure. know some folks who embody what I think it could be, and they're just delightful human beings. Um, and and so I don't want to be just, I don't want to be, you know, crapping all over a particular faith. That's not my my intent mm-hmm. with this. Mm-hmm. Nor I, nor mine. Yeah, but just more so thinking about like how the that idea really does keep people coming in my door, Yeah, right? Like business is going to be good for as long as I want to have a career if the dominant cultural idea is, is you're a terrible human being and, and there's nothing good about you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you say they come through your door seeking therapy and seeking counseling. I, I want to ask you, um, how does that play itself out? I mean, c- have you ever directly address that idea of being flawed and being sinful in your practice? Um, if it seems relevant to the client, yeah. I mean, I've had some clients who are dealing with, um, you know, deconstruction of their faith and mm-hmm. trying to find what what makes sense for them and mm-hmm. how to reconcile that and, and reincorporate that and, and reorganize. Yeah. Um, and so in, in those instances, yes. Yeah. But in all instances, a lot of what we do, I mean, if you look at the research on common factors that talks about how the relationship is the thing that, you know, a big factor in why we heal, you know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. a large portion of what can account for positive client change, Yeah. Um, which is being in relationship. And a lot of that draws from Roger's teachings, which talks about the importance of a, um, unconditional positive regard or non-possessive warmth, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we, we very quickly go into relationship and connection and compassion um, and holding space. Mm-hmm. And, so, and that creates the environment where the client can accept things in themselves that they would normally, you know, you have the ideal self with the conditions of worth, again, going with Rogers and the mm-hmm. real self. And 
and then through the therapeutic experience and encounter, they 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 start to see themselves as they actually are and become more congruent and accepting of themselves. I mean, so yes, I mean, in therapy, whether that's explicitly what we're doing or not, I think that in the way that I work, that's a large part of it. This is touchy ground, I know, but there's a part of me, again, as an indigenous person, and I respect anyone's faith tradition, you know, one-on-one, in-group and all that, uh, but there is this this thorny issue of missionary work and conversion to a particular way when uh, many people have written about it, n- not really understanding that indigenous people had their own spiritual practices. So there, there was sort of that, yeah, you know, that, that missionary stance of we need to teach you a different way so you'll see how awful and sinful you are and, and or how you are a savage and to become... Uh, well, there's no other way to carve it up to, to become a human being. You must accept this this certain spiritual idea of sinfulness and uh, coming out of that, and that ignored the uh, core belief of many indigenous people. So there, there's that thorny problem and a lot of damage and, and hurt coming from boarding schools and you know missionary schools and things like that. So I don't want to go down that pathway tonight, but I do know I carry that. And it's been a source of uh, wounding and struggle for me. You know, h- how do we come to terms with, you know, what's happened with indigenous communities? Vine Deloria wrote a book, uh, Indian uh, author, prolific man, uh, Custer Died for Your Sins. And, you know, he talks about for certain tribes, uh, their loss of tradition and loss of healthy self-concepts came at the hands of, uh, you know, missionary work. So, mm-hmm. so I just want to... Let you know that I kind of carry that into this. Well, absolutely, and and you had mentioned that you might want to talk about it, your experience um, with your uncle's passing and kind of some of that showing up. I don't yeah. know if you wanted to go into that or not. Yeah, yeah, sure. And and again, no offense intended, only my experience. But mm-hmm. uh, I I found myself in struggle um, at a funeral, wherein what was spoken to and commented on was around conversion and uh, understanding that innate flaw. And I just found myself really struggling with the idea that, well, here, here's a passing of a great person, and there's so much more to say about his life versus, you know, and again, my experience was kind of making it a, a call to the altar type of, mm-hmm. uh, and it was, it was painful. It was hard to sit through, to be blunt. And because yeah. uh, I I believe Buddhism and I believe the more more distal history uh, that indigenous what indigenous people believed in and that was that you know we're interdependent we connect and we're a part of everything and there is no innate sin or negativity we should carry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was tough. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and, and I do think I, I will say I don't think there were any bad intentions. In my experience, not at, at all. Yeah, you know, I I don't think the gentleman who provided who did the service was trying to be offensive. Well, I I believe he believed everything he was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that um, I felt a lot of sadness and, and compassion. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, yeah, I had my own activation happening, and and I make jokes and kind of speak harshly sometimes, and so hopefully I don't sound too negative. Um, but I mean, like I I, I get it, but also like. I feel a lot of sadness for, yeah. for if that is the way you frame your understanding of the world, that that's got to be pretty rough and pretty, pretty scary too, I would imagine. Well, and I wonder in terms of mental health and, you know, 
Rogerian type of humanism and existential. I mean, how how does one, how much pain and suffering comes along with the notion that I am innately flawed and innately bad, and uh, and I need what I again call in in my Buddha talks is a deity assist. Uh, it just feels much more agentic and healing to understand that I'm innately good, and through my life and conditioning and my, what my culture stamps me with, I've taken on these sort of negative self-views. It's kind of like the metaphor an old clinical uh, supervisor gave me of an orange. And mm-hmm. he said, you know, what happens when an orange is bruised? Well, if you don't take care of the bruise, it gets, ultimately it'll take over the whole orange. And that yeah. idea of, oh, you're flawed, you're no, you're no good, and is, uh, you know, I, I believe it's caused a lot of suffering. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and if you dare to kind of lean into your own internal goodness, uh, sometimes you can get put in your place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. I know that story. Um, which is unfortunate, mm-hmm. but and again, I don't want to be despairing on any one particular tradition. I've just had some rough experiences growing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds like you've had a few as well. Well, and I, I would I would say you know you have uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. You mentioned him earlier. He did a book, Buddha Christ, where he he showed the integration of mm-hmm. Christianity and Buddhism, but he does come to a chapter where he says a spiritual practice that says, I'm the only one that's right. And I believe he said something to the effect, that is not helpful. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, and, so. and, I, and I don't want to go too far down too many rabbit trails, but why not go down one more? Um, if you think about dominant cultural, like political discourse in our country, mm-hmm. in the United States, you can see this showing up, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's harder to, it's harder, I want to say. It's not impossible, but it is harder to have compassion for someone who's in need if you feel like they're fundamentally flawed, if uh, they somehow deserved it, right? Right. right. And Ooh. then we get into that kind of victim blaming stance or the, you know, well, they don't have insurance, so let them sit outside mm-hmm. of the hospital, like, or, you know, a lot of those other kinds of things, or it can flip the other way too. It's not necessarily tied to one political party, but just this general idea of um, a lack of compassion mm-hmm. towards humans and people in suffering um, because they have responsibility. And I do, I'm an existentialist. I do believe we have ultimate freedom and responsibility, but also like without the judgment piece. Right. And, and I right. see a lot of that judgment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, and you you mentioned intention, and Buddhists are big on that. I'm not at all talking about intention in a general sense. I think it's a spectrum of, um, you know, good intentions. We want to assume that, and I encounter that a lot, but I do think there's a range of, let me put it this way, any spiritual practice that activates compassion and caring for self and other, I'm all in. Any spiritual practice that you know, goes in the reverse is of concern, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because I mean, the world is damaged in so many ways, like the bruised orange, you know, and uh, it, it doesn't help to, in my worldview, to do anything to the negative to self or other. And so uh, activating care, love and kindness is, uh, and I think the Dalai Lama says that, or, uh, you know, that my, my religious practice is kindness and love. But I yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say I, I can sense us getting a little 
nervous here because uh, it, it truly is a social cultural phenomenon, not anything uh, individual or personal. I'm I'm levying or, or casting mm-hmm. on anyone, but it is a phenomenon out there of feeling really bad about the self and uh, feeling really judgmental and binary, good, bad. That 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 to me is mm-hmm. a problem. Well, absolutely, yeah. And 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 I will say, you know, I was having a conversation with a really close friend about this, and and this friend is very. Um, very strong in their Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're one of the folks that I would say in, embody it. Um, and actually like, um, the fruits show up in their practice, Oh yeah, I would say, you know, yeah. and, and there, and I know a few folks that are like that too. Um, and it's, and it's really wonderful to see. And, and we, we kind of went back and forth and around and around about like this idea of, you know, there is one way versus, you know, don't mistake the finger for the moon, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this, you know, singularity versus plurality kind of thing um and the question of what if you're wrong kind of pops up and 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 you know when when we're looking at all these kinds of things i guess what i would say is what does your practice show up in your life as like how does it what fruits does it bear you know Mm -hmm. And, and it's not a dig on christianity but it is a dig on any spiritual practice that does not bear good fruits yeah you know yeah yeah spiritual practice that well said yeah is not decreasing suffering, you know, any, any, anything like that, you know, you might want to re-examine it. And so that's oriented towards anybody, whether that's because there's bad apples in every bunch. Well, and I, and I think, and I I have to say this, um, I think it's the, oftentimes the institutionalization, you know, the organized uh, religious practice is so different from, you know, one's personal faith and practice. And that, that's where I have a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, being church hurt, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I see people struggle with that here in Oklahoma a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I contrast that to the whole idea of, you know, there's gold underneath you know, and the way to enlightenment is to is to connect with that Buddha nature, which is which is uh, luminous and uh, and glorious. Um, I it, it just feels so much better to be in a tradition that has one you know, working to, you know, polish that mud off to see the gold mm-hmm. underneath. Yeah. Um, so is there anything else you wanted to talk to on this subject? Not really. I mean, I, I, I think, um, I feel like there is, uh, there's more coming up as we talk. And I mm-hmm. feel like it might be important to follow up with this. Yeah, this. I think we'll come back to this. Um, also, just so folks know, um, we are planning on starting this back up again. We've had conversations about some things we want to do. Um, time is always the issue. Uh, but if there's something you would like for us to talk about or questions that you would like for us to explore, feel free to to, to reach out and let us know. You know, you can, uh, I guess, contact at couragetobecounseling.com would probably be the right email. I, there's another email that I just can't remember because it's been so long since we've done this podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll kick off the mud and rust and... and... Get, yeah. Get back to it, the mechanics of it. Yeah. We'll see if anybody's still listening or if we're just shouting out into the void. <laughs> I d- did you had mentioned something you wanted to read, and I, I had something too. I don't know if you have. Oh, those. yeah. I was going to read the Jack Cornfield thing, but I just summarized can, it instead. Can I, can I go for it? Read yeah. some. Uh, and this is from the How to Be an Adult in Love. David Rico uh, is a, um, I, I categorize him. 
um, as sort of a Jungian Buddhist uh, psychotherapist, but he he has been very helpful to me. I've done things online, workshops, and uh, read most of his books. But I'm going to share this um, as a statement about our our Buddha nature and our true nature being related. Uh, in relatedness and caring. And he says, biology shows us that the universe is a vast web of interdependence from the cellular to the planetary level. Nothing exists by itself. There is no being in itself, only being in relation to. So to be is to be connected. Thus relatedness or connection is the essence of our and our and, and of all being, our and all of all being. Reality is relatedness. John Muir must have grasped this mystical fact when he wrote, when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. Muir's comment applies both to nature, since ecology is about the interconnectedness of all things in the universe, and the human psychology, which is also about connectedness. Our present behavior is connected to what happened to us in our childhood, Indeed, our whole life is a tapestry of relationships. We are connected to our past, hitched to everyone we know, and even those we don't know. So I, I just really, that's been my meditative focus for a couple of weeks now, that whole idea of interconnectedness. And in closing, mm-hmm. I think that self-loathing or that idea that I'm, I'm innately flawed immediately takes us into uh, a different mode Versus, uh, it's harder, I think, uh, to see that interconnectedness if I feel I'm damaged and set aside. Well, absolutely. If you are the cancer in the system, you need to be extracted. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's hard to be connected when you're sunk into a deep pit of shame. Yeah. An elder, and I, I can't uh, uh, remember, I did a lot of work with tribes. Uh, when I was in Indian Health uh, Services, and uh, I remember an elder in uh, Mexico, New Mexico. I'm sorry. Um, w- when we when we started to pray as a group of indigenous people, um, service providers, agency directors, uh, he made sure that we didn't bow our heads, that we held our heads uh, upward toward the sun. And he said, you know, because we're innately good, and we greet uh, others and spiritual beings with a raised head, not a bowed head, and open arms, not you know, closed hands. And I thought that was a powerful, uh, for me, a powerful experience about how we are interconnected and should greet things versus shunning them. Now, I pray with my head down too sometimes, but I just, uh, I thought that was a beautiful way in the New Mexico sun <laughs> rise yeah. to uh, greet things and meet things. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that is beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, then. Is there anything else? No, sir. I, I'm glad we did this and got this, got this out there. Hopefully, we'll pick up uh, some listeners. Well, let's not attach to outcomes, and we'll, it'll be what it'll be. Darn, you got me. <laughs> Touche and check. Right, right. Not check me. Yeah, but check. Yeah, no. Um, so I do, I do want to say thank you to anybody that decided to, to give it another listen. Um, I am excited to be doing this again. It's just a matter of, you know, um, I, I really want us to be helpful. And so mm-hmm. if there's something, again, that, that would be helpful to you to hear or to, for us to discuss, please, please reach out and let us know. Um, hopefully we'll be back again soon. And I just am kind of thrilled we referenced Sheldon Kopp. I've, I've, that, that name, like 
the eschatological laundry list, which is in If You Meet the Boot on the Road, Kill Him, has shown up in my world twice in the last week. Really? Are you familiar with that? Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, that's so, uh, there's some serendipity here because I was digging around and moving some books around. And uh, the book I read in college, uh, I found it. I don't get rid of books. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I need to read this again. The, if you see Buddha on the road. And uh, also Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which is another great <laughs> one. So, yeah, I've got uh, that one as well on my shelf over yeah, there. Yeah. That, uh, I, I believe if Howard you meet the Zen. Buddha on the road, kill him. And uh, I believe I loaned that to a former student of mine and never got it back. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple others that I've loaned over the yeah, years. And, and the third like, one I'll plug for is Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. And I had those all tucked away in a box. But that's a whole yeah, other I need, story. Yeah, I need to read that. I, 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 think I, I, um, I think I've given away more books than I care to count. <laughs> <gasps> My only attachment is to books. It's just a shame when they go out of print and I want them and I can't have them anymore. Yeah. But then we attach to things and it's a good practice. I know. I know. I I think at this point we should just cut it off and let people go. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody. Hope you have a great week. Take care. Or however long it is. Bye. Bye. Bye.